Hey, dog. Hey. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, I'm so glad that um, we have technology for this. Um, I'm also quite glad that I don't have to speak for two services, but <laughs> I will make the most out of this. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Jerusha. I recently, not so recently actually, I got married in March to John Lee. Um, most of you probably know him. And recently we've been, let me just share a little bit about what I think about this current lockdown. I think um, what an interesting time we, we are in. It's not only just a lockdown, but it's an extended lockdown. And just the other day, um, the staff team were talking about how we all were going, and some of us are not going <laughs> very well. And I think that kind of reflects um, everyone else's experience as well. I noticed that people are a bit less motivated, um, they are a bit disappointed, um, and just feeling quite flat. My experience, uh, Fortunately, I'm a bit of an introvert, and so I'm actually enjoying a bit of home time to myself. Um, and I also have a lot of essays to do for Bible college, so I've been trying to read a lot. And also I got a worm farm recently. So if you have any tips for how to get my worms to pee and poo, let me know. Um, yeah, but it is a bit disappointing. So recently we were trying to celebrate Rebs's 30th, but we couldn't do that. I know my parents, or like even Chris, uh, our senior pastor, was planning to go away, but they couldn't. All the weddings coming up, you know, those things are um, a bit uncertain at the moment. Um, but I just want to encourage the church, um, lean in to God, despite your disappointments, despite your lack of motivation. Um, just be open and honest with God and tell Him how you're feeling. Give those feelings to Him because um, if we allow God to enter even tho those spaces, um, there's fruit that can come out of that as well. Today, um, we are talking about Bible in real life. And basically, that's a fancy way of saying we are going to open up a passage from the Bible and we're going to unpack it and see how it applies to our real life. Uh, I have tried to put this on the Bible app. So if you use the Bible app, go to events and you can actually locate this particular event in a nearby location or you can use the QR code on the screen as well. Um, so the topic for today is actually um, this, die to live. When I was praying about what to speak about, I felt God say that there are things in our lives that we actually need to sacrifice or to put to death in our lives in order to truly live for God and to make space for Him to move. And this is a bit of a prelude to the Make Space series coming up. As I said, John and I recently moved, got married, and we moved into our new house. And so for those of you who have moved into a new house or live in a house that's not very big, like Delani and James as well, you know that space is very important. Um, and also you realize how easy it is to accumulate things that you don't need, especially when things like Kmart exists. So John, my awesome husband, he's a serial Kmart shopper. He cannot resist a cheap deal. And what you realize, like, you know, sometimes I'll come home and then I'll see things that he's bought and I'll go, why, why did you buy the inflatable pillow? And then he'll say, because it was cheap. Um, and, I, and then I wouldn't know where to put them after that. 
But what we realize is that a lot of things that we buy, as cheap as they are, sometimes they don't actually work. So like we bought a can opener recently and it can't actually open a can or a potato masher that can't mash. And these things are true story. Don't buy them from Kmart. But anyway, um, I also recently moved more boxes over to my new house and I've been clearing my belongings so that I can make space for important things. So I've donated a lot of stuff um, or cleared a lot of things. So today, I believe that there are some things that God actually wants us to get rid of or to give up in order to make space for him to move in our lives. Delaney mentioned 1830 camp. I believe we actually made space in that camp for the Holy Spirit to move. Like she said, Mayan had a sermon planned, but in the end, she actually decided not to do the sermon and just let the Holy Spirit take over the whole Saturday night. And I felt like because we didn't go with our plan and we let God's plan take place instead, um, a lot of lives were actually changed and God spoke into the deepest parts of people's hearts. Um, and so today, there's some things I believe that God also wants us to be letting him um, speak into. Uh, but before we go into the passage, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for um, the life that you've given us, Lord. And um, we just want to say to you today, God, that we invite you into this space. We invite you to speak to us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us, would challenge us, um, and would comfort us, God, um, and give us um, light uh, into our eyes so that we can see you for who you are and make changes in our lives that reflect who you are and um, what the, call, the, the life that you've called us to live, God. Um, and we just commit this time to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So guys, the passage for today is Matthew, from Matthew 16. And I'll read it to you guys. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So as we reflect on Matthew 16, this passage, um, I want to use the framework that Chris has been using. We want to talk about context and content. So we want to consider where, what kind of environment was this happening in? Um, what's the narrative of what was happening? And then I'll spend most of today talking about consider. So we consider how does this truth or this event or what God has to say in this passage, how do we apply that to our lives? So to give you a bit of context and content, 
um, just before this was happening, the disciples, in particular Peter, he actually had a realization of who Jesus was. He actually declared that Jesus was the son of the living God, and basically he understood that Jesus was the Messiah. I don't think he fully understood it yet, but he had that realization. So Jesus, realizing that disciples were, trying, were starting to understand who he was, he decided then to um, amp it up a little bit more. He started talking um, about what would happen soon, that he would die and that he would be raised on the third day. And Peter had trouble kind of understanding that. And his response to Jesus saying that he would die um, was to think that the whole idea was pretty much horrible. And he said to Jesus, no, that shall never happen to you. That could never happen to you. Because Peter's idea um, of good was that Jesus would be alive and that he would establish an earthly kingdom. But then Jesus' response to Peter was to tell him off, saying that he wasn't thinking about life from God's perspective and that he was having a very worldly perspective. And then on top of that, Jesus goes on then to talk about what it means to truly live and what it means to follow him. Let me talk a little bit about self-preservation. Like Peter, I think a lot of us actually put an emphasis on the need to preserve our earthly lives. We have a desire to preserve our comfort, our riches, our um, safety, and even our rights. The definition of self-preservation is a natural instinctive tendency to act to preserve one's own existence. Um, growing up as a young adult, one of, I'm not really a young adult anymore, um, but there was this um, acronym called FOMO, which is the fear of missing out. It's basically the fear of losing out on things. And so one way you'll see it is a lot of people in the millennial generation, we struggle with making decisions because we're afraid to, to miss out. Um, but as humans, it's not just a young adult thing, it's actually across all generations. We as humans, we consider the cost of things all the time. And we always try to minimize cost, maximize gains. We try to get the bargains. We want to make sure that what we invest in is worth it, especially most of us um, in this church being Asians. We've been trained. We've been well-trained to get the best bargains. Um, even from when I was in uni, my mum already taught me where to get the cheapest meats and veg and fruits. She said that thing apparently has the best pork, cheapest and also the best pork, but um, don't quote me on that. Um, Uncle Min Leong and Auntie Peggy always tell me where to get the cheapest fruits. Like the other day, <laughs> Uncle Min Leong was telling me about cheap spring rolls. So if you want to know where to get that, you can contact him. Um, and if you want to, we, we basically know where to get the cheapest foods and the free stuff. Shout out to my friend Ann Lee Chin streaming in from <laughs> America right now. Um, yeah, we asked the question, you know, what requires the least amount of effort? What is the bare minimum I need to give in order to gain the most? And sometimes the problem is when we take self-preservation too far, it comes even at the expense of other people. Or it comes to the point where we, it hinders us from living the life that God actually wants us to live. The problem is that when sin entered the world, one of the things that we started to believe is that we 
our, our purpose in life is to actually please ourselves, to preserve ourselves, and hence, a lot of what we do then is to preserve our own existence here on Earth. The problem is that a life that's too focused on self-preservation, you actually end up losing your life to self-preservation rather than actually living. It's wise to count the cost of things. However, when we overdo focusing on saving cost, it actually causes us more stress or we don't actually end up saving that much. And a classic example of this are fuel vouchers. You know, for that four cents, people are willing to drive further to get that four cents. But by the time you actually drive further, you end up using more petrol and it, doesn't, it actually costs you more to save that four cents and you don't actually end up saving anything. So what are some of these things that we're trying so hard to preserve in our lives? What are some things that we are afraid to have a lack of? Jesus talks about it in Matthew 6, and I'm not going to read the whole passage, um, but I will draw out some key points from there. Jesus actually talks about how, um, one second, I'm just gonna, yeah, Jesus talks about how some of us are really anxious about earthly treasures, and so that refers to money in our lives. Um, of some of us actually look at our bank accounts a lot, um, and when we have enough, it brings us a sense of security or a sense of comfort. But then when we look at it, sometimes it also causes us a lot of stress. Um, and what dominates our mind is um, ways to grow that. Or how can we save more? How can we grow that more? And it's, it's almost like it's something that's always in your mind. Secondly, Jesus talks about clothes. Some of us are anxious about what we put on our bodies, what we wear. And why, is it, why does he refer to clothes? I believe it's because when people look at us, they make assumptions about us based on what we wear. And so I believe that Jesus was actually talking about reputation. Some of us are caught up in trying to preserve the way people think about us. You know, as Asians say, we kind of say it's um, saving face. Um, we need other people to see us a certain way. So we kind of feel that pressure or that stress to put up a certain front, to maybe dress a certain way, to drive a certain car, to live in a certain kind of house, maybe even to have a certain kind of wedding. So those things actually cause stress. The third thing Jesus talks about was food and drink. A lot of us are anxious about um, what, what we will eat, what we will drink. And um, I think a lot of us actually try, just constantly feel like we don't have enough, even though we are in one of the richest um, environments in the world, and um, we actually do have a lot. But still, even though we have a lot, and we can actually meet our physical wants and needs, we feel like we don't have enough. And so we make decisions out of that um, feeling of lack. And then, in, to, at the last bit of it, in verse 34, Jesus talks about how some of us worry about tomorrow. So we worry about things that haven't even happened yet. And then Jesus goes, why, why do you even worry about that? Because worrying about tomorrow won't add anything to your life. And today has enough worries of its own. And so a lot of us actually try to preserve control. 
we stress about the what-ifs, or the things that haven't even happened. Um, and so, what does Jesus say about all these things that we try to preserve in our lives? What do you say about money, about reputation, about physical wants and needs, about control? He says that these things are temporary, that it cannot be taken with you into eternity. They are easily destroyed. And he says that they should not dominate your mind or make you anxious because it doesn't add any value to your life by allowing these things to dominate your mind. He said, instead, we should realize that, first of all, all these things come from him and that we should fix our minds on seeking first his righteousness and his kingdom. And all these things will be given to you as well. So that means we should fix our minds on becoming more like Christ and doing the will of God in our lives, and then he will supply everything that we need. The other thing about self-preservation, um, not only does it actually rob you of your life and make you anxious and stressed when that becomes your priority, but it actually often leads to selfishness in our interactions. So if we look at what Peter said, when Jesus was talking about how he would have to die in order to save the world, Peter actually rebuked him uh, and told Jesus off. You know, he wasn't actually focused on, um, he, he was focused, Peter was focused on preserving Jesus's life, but Jesus on the other hand was not. Jesus was focused on doing what he needed to do in order to save us. And if Jesus didn't actually follow through, in obedience to God, we would be doomed. We would never be saved. Um, if Jesus was selfish, uh, we would all be condemned and heading towards eternity without God, heading towards hell. But Peter didn't think about that, did he? He had his mind on worldly things. And in James 4, um, James actually warns the church about having this kind of worldly thinking. I didn't actually put the verse up, but if you want, it's in James 4. Um, he, he was saying that worldliness or setting our minds on worldly things or self-preservation was actually the cause a lot of, for a lot of division and strife in the church. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. What he was saying is that self-preservation basically makes us look out for ourselves. It makes us um, consider what's best for us, and we are okay with other people having second best or having the, the lesser. We're happy to step on others in order to get ahead. Um, and one more thing it makes us do is we actually um, put, we, we suss out people's worth and we go, you know, are they worth our time? Are they worth our effort? Are they valuable enough for us to give up something for them? We often consider the cost of what it takes to love God, to serve God, and to love others, and to serve others. And if we are honest, most of the time, we arrive at the conclusion that it costs too much. The response that we often get is actually seeds. And some of you may not know what that means, 
But for those of you who don't know, it basically is a short for can't be bothered or I have better things to do. Thank God that he wasn't seebs about us. Because if he was seebs about us, and if he thought that we weren't worth the cost or the effort, we again would be doomed. And I thank God that he doesn't operate the way that we do. God, on the other hand, instead of um, you know, being self-preserving, <laughs> I couldn't say that word for a sec. God, God's way is actually self-sacrificial. And what is sacrifice? Sacrifice is the giving up of something of value, even your life, for the sake of something or someone else. And we can see this in what Jesus said. You know, he said, um, basically, in his call to us to follow him, he said, if anyone was to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake would find it. Not only did Christ talk about how he was going to be to die and be raised on the third day, he actually go, went on to say the cost of following him or the cost of being a Christ follower, a Christian, is to give up our lives, to sacrifice our lives for him. But if we ask the question, how many of us would actually honestly say there would be, we would be willing to lose our lives for the sake of Christ? On top of that, Jesus doesn't just call us to lose our lives for him, but also to lay our lives down for other people. He says in John 15, um, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than someone lay his life down for his friends. Do you love your family members so much that you'd be willing to die for them? Do you love your husband or your wife so much that you'd be willing to die for them? Do you love your friend so much that you'd be willing to die for them? When I was preparing this message and God's been talking to me about this concept for many years, and on many occasions, and still now today, I would say no to some of these questions. Because when you think about it practically, some of us are not even willing to drive one or two hours in order to serve at church sometimes or to serve other people. Some of us are not even willing to wake up early in the morning to even attend church. Some of us are not willing to spend hours listening to a friend who might be going through something difficult. So how do we even get to a point where we're willing to die or even lose our lives for others and for Christ. So I want to share a little bit with you about what God has spoken to me in the past when I've talked to him about this. Um, and I'm trying to I'll try to summarize this up in three questions. The first one is, who or what are you looking at? Because when Peter was talking to Jesus, Peter completely missed it. You know, instead of him listening to Jesus and hearing what Jesus actually had to say, um, Jesus looked, uh, Peter looked right past Jesus. So are we looking at Jesus or are we looking at our own interests and looking at life around us and thinking that other things are more important? Because if we were to look at Jesus, Jesus, despite his power, despite his authority, despite being equal to God, chose to give up that position 
in order to come down to earth. He knew the cost and chose to pay the cost. And he could have chosen not to, but because he looked to our interests, he looked at us and decided that we were worth it. And he did that because of love. Love made him put our needs and our interests before his own. And Christ calls us to do the same. You know, he doesn't tell us, he doesn't just tell us, he actually showed us exactly what it looks like. And as we look to Christ, what happens is we actually spend time knowing him, we understand his love more deeply, and we become more like him. And his spirit then grows that kind of sacrificial love in us. Some of you might ask the question, but I sacrificed so much already to the point where I'm like burning out. But that's why you have to look to Christ. Because Jesus actually shows us what we need to give up. Even though he says, you know, give, um, we are to give up our whole lives, there's some things in our lives that we in particular hold on to tightly. Um, even though Jesus talked so much about how he was going to establish an earth, an eternal heavenly kingdom, the disciples kept thinking that he was trying to establish a physical one. You know, they might have been willing to give up their lives to see um, Israel politically set up again. But Christ didn't want them to give up their lives for an earthly kingdom. He wanted them to give up their lives for the purpose of building an eternal kingdom. So by looking to Christ, we know what we're meant to be giving up. And it's important to look to him so that we give up the things that he wants us to give up rather than what we think is important to give up. Um, I like Chris's analogy last week where he referred to Ephesians 5.17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. His analogy about how, you know, it's important for us to actually know what the boss wants before spending hours and hours working on something and then bring it to the boss and then it's actually the wrong thing and we just need to chuck it out. It's important to treat God as the boss and ask him, what is it that you want me to let go of before we sacrifice all these things and then we get to a place where we're depleted. Some of us need to actually give up our own ideas of what we think we should be sacrificing. Second question, um, what are you trying to gain? Um, it says in our key passage from Matthew 16 that um, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Some of us think that we're gaining a lot by preserving or accumulating certain things, but actually it might not be worth much at the end of the day. In fact, we end up losing our souls in pursuit of some of these things. So we need to ask the question, are we really gaining things that really matter? I've got a bit of a story that comes at the expense of myself yet again to, um, to kind of unpack this. Um, this is a picture of my treasure box of snacks. Um, I took this picture a few years ago, but it still exists. Um, so whenever I went back to Singapore for a visit every year, I would come back with my barbecue twisties, with my Japanese crackers that I couldn't get over here. And I would put them in my treasure chest away from my family because I didn't want them to touch it. Um, also because it was precious and I had a limited resource. And before you judge me further, I have um, reasons for why I did this. First of all, I grew up with a twin brother, as many of you know, and 
I've had to share things ever since I was born. My birthday, I've always had to share with my brother. Um, and my brother, whenever we shared food, he actually didn't know how to ration. So he would just gobble up his, his portion and then ask me for more. And obviously, I would say no, because I was smart. Um, but on top of that, God has a sense of humor. And I've also married a man who takes my food. So when we share french fries, for example, um, he eats it by like handful and stuffs it into his mouth, whereas I kind of eat like chip by chip. And I, when I first started dating him, I felt so stressed because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to have enough chips for myself. Um, and I've learned that you just split it beforehand and then I can eat in peace. But that's not my point. My point is I've always had this, um, you can laugh a little bit about it, but then it's actually kind of true that I have this protective um, attitude towards food. And I think it's also seeped into like things that I own um, and even money. But um, that's why I'm, when I'm sharing this, it's something I'm going through still. And I literally like had a food fight with John just the other night. Um, but there are some lessons that I've gathered from this snack box analogy. So I'll share them with you. Um, just please don't judge me or bag me about this after. Um, one of the things I realized is that things actually go stale when we hoard them. Like the snacks I tried to store, I kept them for like months and months to the point where I actually, when I opened them and ate them, even though they were sealed, they, was, they were stale and I didn't even enjoy them anymore. And so I should have actually just opened them and shared them earlier or just ate them earlier so that I could actually enjoy them. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew 6. You know, he says, moth and vermin will come and eat up or destroy the earthly treasures that you hoard. So the idea of saving enough in order to be secure in life and enjoy it is a bit of an illusion. I'm not saying that you don't have to save your money or be wise or to invest your money, but I'm saying that if it's your absolute goal in life to be financially secure, if you're holding it so tightly that you can't give it to other people or if it's causing you anxiety, then it's taking away your life. You need to understand that what you're building can be torn down or will grow stale and it's not going to go with you into eternity. And it's not just with money. You know, if we are selfish with our time, if we prioritize what we want, um, and we're not generous with it to even meet the needs of others or to serve God, we're likely to be building um, things with our time, that things that don't last or doesn't add much value to our lives, and we'll experience a stale experience of life. The second learning I got from my snack box is that there is more where it came from. So I realized with my snacks that I, could, I had to tell myself I could always just go back to Singapore to get some of that. But now that we're in COVID, I tell myself that I can get some of these from Asian shops. So I found my barbecue twisties in KFL. I found my Japanese snacks in Suzuran. So I'm pretty good. Um, and so I was more willing to give when I realized that I had a lot. And that's similar with our possessions or the things that we try to preserve. You need to realize that God is your supplier. We have so much and yet nothing belongs to us. We need to understand the truth that we can give our lives away sacrificially because um, Christ has first sacrificed his life for us and our lives are then no longer ours, they belong to him. 
and he is the giver of life. And when God calls us to sacrifice something, he's simply asking us to give back something to him um, that belongs to him. So money, we can be sacrificial with our money because God is the one who gives us the capacity to earn money. Our money belongs to him. Time, we can be sacrificial with our time because God is the one who gives us time. He can literally take his breath, our breath away at any time he wants. So our time belongs to him. Love, we can find love in ourselves to forgive others that have hurt us because Christ first did that for us and he continues to pour out his grace on us and we should be able to extend that to other people because we've been given so much. The third learning I got from my snack box um, is that God gives even when there's no acknowledgement. So I realized that um, sometimes when I put a snack out, like my tapioca chips, my mom would be eating the tapioca chips and then I'll be like, mom, was that tapioca chip good? And then she said, nah, it's okay. And then <laughs> I was so shocked. She's like, oh, Red Rock Deli chips is better. And then I was like, why don't you just go to Coles and buy more Red Rock Deli chips? Why are you eating my precious tapioca chips? And what I realized is that I only like sharing when someone acknowledges the, the extent of the sacrifice. If they understand how good it is and they know that it's a limited resource. Um, but God doesn't operate that way. God gives us freely even when we don't realize that he's giving us that much. Um, in Romans 5.10, it says, for, for while we were sinners, uh, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. In Matthew 6, God, um, Jesus actually warns us about practicing our righteousness in front of other people in order to be seen by them. And he says that your father will um, reward you for the things that he sees you do in secret. So God's rewards are actually better than earthly rewards. And so we need to ask ourselves a question, are we doing things to be acknowledged by men or to please God? So the first question was, who are you looking at? Second question is to ask yourselves, what are you actually trying to gain? The third question is, where can you start? Like I said, this is an ongoing conversation that I have with God. Um, and when I first had this realization that I don't actually love people to the extent where I would be willing to die for them. Um, I said, God, this is such a big task. I can't even share my snacks with them, let alone die for them. And so God actually said to me, start somewhere. Start somewhere and he would actually grow that kind of love in me. And so if you're not at the point where you can sacrifice your life, what can you sacrifice now? the disciples who followed Jesus, even though they spent so much time with Jesus over the course of his ministry, they were not able to die for Christ when he was about to be crucified. But after his resurrection, these disciples, they lost their lives to establish the early church. So this thing can actually be built on. It's a muscle that needs to slowly be built and over time you'll realize that you'll um, grow that sacrificial love for God and for others. And what's most important is where is your heart? Is your heart um, open to God to say to God, hey, God, I, I really want to get to a point where I can say I um, would be willing to die for you. But right now, I'm not there yet. So can you help me? And when we open our hearts to God like that, he will 
um, respond and he will give you the desires of your heart. So practically, um, oh, yeah, so what can you sacrifice now? And because I'm a bit of a, I am a speech pathologist, um, and I like to think about things very explicitly, so I'm going to talk about some practical points, um, thinking about the literal spaces <laughs> that you're in. Um, and also, this is a prelude to the Make Space series starting soon. Um, so let's talk about how we can apply um, this knowledge in the spaces around us. And the three spaces that came to mind when I was thinking about this, um, firstly, was physical space. What are some things that you need to get rid of that are taking up physical space in your life? Things that um, you feel like you're trying to preserve in your physical space, but actually are hindering you from making space for God. Um, where does your body need to go to experience God more? What does it need to do to be closer to God? What environment should your body be surrounded by um, in order to experience God more. One thing um, a pastor preached a few, like many, many years ago that stuck with me was he was saying that in many households, we place the TV right in the middle of the house where everyone can see it. And that's why a lot of people actually spend a lot of their time watching TV because it's right in the center of their house and they constantly think about it. And so that, that's something that stuck with me. And so maybe you need to not put your TV in your bedroom. Maybe you need to not put your TV in the center of your house, but maybe on the side. Um, and that can be your little act of sacrifice. For me, one thing I realized was um, I needed a hard copy of my Bible right in the middle of our dining table. So I put that there. So I'm constantly reminded to read my Bible every morning. Um, maybe... It's about when you read your Bible or when you pray, turn your phone to silent or actually put it in a different room. And that can be your um, act of sacrifice to God. What are some things then also could you do physically that would involve giving up something of value to yourself for the sake of other people? Maybe it's driving someone to church, even though it's inconvenient. Maybe it's cooking for someone in need. Maybe it's opening up a spare room in the house for someone in need or, um, I know uh, Caleb and Fel, when they were deciding what house to, to buy, they were thinking, oh yeah, we need a spare room just in case um, there's someone in need who might need a spare room. Maybe it's opening your family dinners to an international student who's here by themselves. Maybe it's being the first one to walk up to somebody, physically walk up to someone and actually apologize or reconcile with someone, even though you feel like you're not in the wrong. Um, the other space that I thought about was mental, emotional space. What are some things that you need to um, get rid of or put to death in, that's taking up space in your mental uh, and emotional space? There's some things that we've allowed to dominate our minds, like fear, like um, things that maybe God's telling us to do something and we keep going to him saying, what if this, what if that? But maybe a small act of sacrifice would be to think, what if God does this? Or what if God moves in this way? And maybe some of us actually are feeling very overwhelmed, for example, during lockdown at the moment. But maybe your act of sacrifice could be instead of keeping that in your head and in your heart and shutting God out, maybe it's about being honest about the way you feel 
and actually inviting God into that space and, and speaking those feelings out. What are some things you can do mentally or emotionally that would involve giving up something of value to you for others? Maybe it's choosing to let go of the way you think things should be and unhealthy expectations that you have on other people or on yourself. Maybe it's choosing to let go or forget past hurts and let go of grudges. Maybe it's choosing to think about the needs of others instead of the things that you don't have. Maybe it's thinking about what you, instead of thinking about what you need to get ahead in life, maybe you can think about how you can support someone else to get ahead in life. Instead of trying to always have the advantage, maybe you can think about how you can help those who are disadvantaged. Financial space. What are some things that you need to get rid of or sacrifice or put to death that are taking up financial space? One of the very um, tangible things that we can do with our finance is tithing giving back that 10% to God that already belongs to him. And it kind of reflects whether we allow God to um, very prioritize God in that financial space. Um, some of the things that we can financially sacrifice for the sake of others. Maybe we could put our daily coffee money um, into buying someone else a coffee. Maybe instead of looking at ways to increase your comfort in life, Maybe you can see how you can increase the comfort of those who are struggling to even have basic needs. I'd like to end finally with um, just an encouragement. Some of you might feel like, um, you know, that you can't sacrifice because it will, it will cost you too much and you will end up even more depleted. But this is a truth of the Bible that life actually comes from sacrifice. Um, Jesus in John 12, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal, eternal life. And when Jesus was talking about this, he was actually talking about himself and how he would have to die in order for um, all of humanity to experience life. And that's what he's calling us to do as well. He's saying that when we die to ourselves, we're not actually um, being worse off or becoming depleted. When we actually die to ourselves and give our lives to God, he then gives us the freedom and life, not just for this lifetime, but for all of eternity. And we can see life birth in our interactions with others as we love them, as Christ does in our physical space, in our mental, emotional space, in our financial space. Um, so I'd like to end by praying for you guys who um, feel like you've crowded God out, whether it be you know physically, mentally, or financially or any other spaces that you feel that you've crowded God out. Um, and maybe we've been feeling seeps, like we can't be bothered towards God and to others. But I believe God's actually calling us to lean into him, to ask him what, it, what needs to be surrendered to him in our lives. What are some things that we need to actually put to death 
in our lives so that we can make space for him and experience life in him. And you know what? Like when you do it, you experience the life that God intends for you instead of eating stale crackers. He, he actually wants for you to be able to enjoy it so much more when you actually release it to him and use it for the sake of blessing others. And so I'll just pray for you um, right now. Heavenly Father, I um, thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, God, that you do not operate as we do and that you've shown us a love that's so sacrificial, so giving, so pure, Lord. And Father, I ask, God, for everyone in their homes right now, for your church, God, that you would change our hearts, that instead of trying to preserve our own lives, instead of trying to hold on to things that are fleeting, God, instead of allowing these things to dominate our minds and to make us anxious, to make us quarrel with one another and to cause divisions in our families and in our church. Father, may we let you, Lord, have control of these things. May we allow these things to die, Lord, in our lives and to ask you, God, for life, Father. Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, as we um, sacrifice these things in our lives that you would breathe life. Breathe life into our dry bones, God. Breathe life into our relationships and into our interactions, Lord. May we be able to get to a point, Lord, where we would say we would truly be willing to die for you and to die for our friends, to die for our family, to die for our husband, or our wife, the, the people that we say we love, God. Help us to love them as you do, God. And we, can, we only know that that's possible through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask for your Holy Spirit to intervene, to change our hearts, um, and to move mightily in our lives, God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you so much. Jerusha, that was really amazing. And um, yeah, I personally um, really um, felt God speaking to me through that um, statement that you said that when we try to self-preserve, we end up not living. So that was really deep. Thanks for that. And also something to consider, what if God said he was saves with us? Um, I wouldn't like to think of what kind of world we'd be living in if that was the case. Um, all right, so the time has come. We have three minutes until our FGA church's big birthday bonanza. bonanza. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, if you could all um, start heading onto this Zoom link, fgam.org.au forward slash Zoom. So what do, what do they need to do with that Zoom link? Where do they put that? Is that on a URL? Um, well, you on the should, web browser? Yeah, you could do that through a browser and then it'll get you to download the Zoom app. Um, awesome. If the link does send you to the FGAM website, please try again. If you're having issues getting onto the birthday celebration Zoom, please contact your home group leader or message in the Facebook or YouTube chat and someone will try and help you and get you into the room. Mm. Um, 